everyone. For this episode of Afterthoughts, we'll be discussing, obviously, episode six, which was kind of the big culmination of uh, everything coming together. That's both in the sense of learning about my background, Jules's background in the complex, um, and also learning about pretty much the ultimate tool for ADHD. That's at least kind of what it seems like, which is imagination. Oh, yeah. My shiniest of objects. Yes. So I want to explain a little bit more about um, the idea of imagination. Where did you first come across this? Like, how did you come to the realization that this could be something useful um, that that ADHD people can use? Well, it's a great question because um, I will tell you after, again, almost 30 years of working with this, uh, this isn't what I would have anticipated that yeah. I'd be talking about the powerful space of imagination. Um, but it really came to be in the mid 90s, okay, when I had uh, started educating those with ADHD about how it sets up in their mind, personalizing strategies. We were doing really good work, and mm-hmm. I was starting to treat the trauma or the distress of it. And it was at that point that it wasn't going away. And uh, I thought to myself, hmm. Something what has else? to be happening. Yeah, something's got to be happening. Yeah. So in my own explanation or exploration and wondering um, about natural resources we had, it's probably yeah. the easiest way to think about it, um, I kind of stumbled upon uh, the idea um, of imagination and began to wonder, huh, I wonder if that could be used yeah. to help with the stress of ADD. In my research on it, you know, I had... At that point, certainly people were using it as visualization for performance in sports or speaking Mm. or the arts. And so the idea of visualization in your mind was powerful. And it really was kind of a shiny idea of like, I wonder if we could use this on the stress of ADD because it's a natural resource. Yeah. It's something we, you know, purpose. We have it. We have it. Everyone has it naturally. I wonder how I could use this. And then, um, that's where I created the ideas of the internal worlds in your imagination. Mm-hmm. Really, it has. It, so that idea has been a powerful resource in psychology or guided meditation. Like or emotional safe here. places? Yeah. And so okay. the idea of guided ima- in your imagination has been used for a long time. But I thought, what if you really created your own internal world that you kept mm. and you revisited and you developed? Yeah. I, and I, and it Is just, that not so... Is an emotional safe place classically kind of different than that in a therapeutic sense? Not necessarily classically different in that the ideas of developing it in your imagination are the same. It's the consistency of use. It's the development over time in a way that's meaningful to you. So it's the personalization. Correct. And so it's it's the maturing, as I'll talk about here later, of your imagination in this way. Okay. And that, to me, is the difference, is we're looking for something that can be a consistent resource of strength. Yeah. That's not going to be affected by someone outside of you or you having to go perform something somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Got it. Yeah. So Got let's it. let's actually go into a little example of Great. Bernard doing this exact thing. <laughs> Which uneasy you talking about, man? Because I spent oh, about the first four years here dealing with all of the uneases. I worked through the fight or flight adrenaline ones first, and then we spent a few months on basic stage fright, and for a while there, 
I got uneasy in the middle of meditating, like I thought I was meditating wrong, which is technically not possible, but it sure made me uneasy. We've worked all on all that stuff, didn't we, James? What do you mean you worked on that? How do you work on something like that? Well, I usually talk it over with Gandhi in our perfect weather bubble on top of Mount Everest with a white-out blizzard blocking out the rest of the world, you know. Yep. You know how I handle unease? I hop on my purple dragon and soar through high mountain passes. Daredevil kind of stuff, but oddly enough, it calms me down. Whoa, 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 wait. So, (laughs) your dragon? What are you talking about? What is this? Our emotional safe places. We create them in our heads as part of a technique I call strategic therapeutic daydreaming. Okay, so obviously this is pretty self-explanatory, what you're doing. You're, you're essentially playing make-believe like you would as a kid, right? right? Like exactly. where you're hiding under a table and like it's, you're in a castle all right. of a sudden, exactly. you know? And, like, exactly. and it's like this whole world that you're imagining in your head yes. and, and really using to your own effect. Right. Um, but how exactly, so kids are very good at this. Mm-hmm. Adults, not so much. Yeah. Right? First off, why do we fall out of that? Well, so here's the interesting part. Is that right? culture? or is uh, I think some of it is culture and some of it is just it. Um, in childhood, it's a concrete measure. I'm under a table. I mm. think I'm you know, in a castle. I've got a blanket over it. Yeah. And, and I'm it's making, very real. Yeah. And I'm making noises like swords right, and things, right. or, you know, things running. And so I'm there. Yeah. Okay. It's called, it's the concrete operations of childhood that I can think in and imagine and I feel like I'm there. Okay. In adolescence, you go through a development in what will be called uh, metacognition or uh, the abstract thinking, where you okay. can suddenly start thinking uh, before something happens, after it happens, while gotcha. something's happening. You can imagine and think about things abstractly. Yeah. So the imagination goes into this metacognition space of thinking abstractly. Okay. And so it actually moves into that tool. And I think people use it in the forms of creativity, mm. brainstorming, trying to conceptualize. Gotcha. But I don't really see it used as a resource or as right. a powerful tool yeah. for mental and emotional health. Yeah. So it's not that it's not that adults don't have this, or that oh, it's, right. or that it's right. less, oh, absolutely less, you know, there. It's just not practiced. It's just not practiced like Correct. it regularly is as a little kid. Yeah, it's just yeah. not understood. And so you'll hear me talk about it time and time again. Here is maturing mm. your imagination. Yeah, which is what I think uh, we learn to do. It's actually been the most fascinating. Um, aspect of my professional yeah. career as a counselor and helping people to use this yeah so how does one actually do that how does one go about um creating these imaginary worlds in their head and getting back to that space of you know being able to think that they're in a castle under a table right something like I guess that you could you be know? in a castle under a table. I, hey i think i that'd be great castle's kind of cool that'd be I awesome i never thought about having a castle in my place yeah. i could probably go create one tonight be careful yeah. um <laughs> But look, the easiest way to do this, I tell people to think about a meaningful or a very a nurturing time in their life. They were okay. on vacation. They were on a beach. Mm. Uh, they were in, you know, their at their grandmother's property, uh, playing up in the backyard in this incredibly yeah. old oak tree. Mm. Okay, 
you can take those old memories, mm-hmm. okay, and that's where you can start for a lot of people. Okay, um, I believe I created out of nothing. Can you imagine that? Mm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> mine now is uh, 32 years old. My emotional safe place wow. in my head. It's it's quite the and it can. How how big is it? Oh, I, I think it's, can, it's is there a measure big. that you can I put on it? No, I yeah I. Well, I never thought about that. I have to give it some thought here by the end, yeah. to see if I can measure my emotional safe place in my mind's eye. That'd be interesting. But you, uh, you, so you take a place like from vacation or someplace that felt really nurturing. Yeah. But I ask people to customize it. Meaning okay. put more trees in it. Uh, change oh. the color of the sand. Yeah. And make it what they want. Yeah, make it 84 degrees with a yeah. 5 degree um, uh, northerly breeze blowing yeah. in that's just cool enough. So mm-hmm. when you customize it like that, yeah, uh, you'll hear me talk about it as video editing. You're editing okay. your imagination yeah. in a personal way. When you personalize it like that, it becomes customized to you. Yeah, it becomes safe. It becomes embedded ah. in your internal sense of self because you've personally done it. Huh. And I think that's one of the keys as to uh-huh. why it's easy to go back and remember because yeah. I created it. Nobody else in my own mind's eye and my own safety of my imagination. Right. Okay. So this is one way to do it. And that can also kind of get to what we were talking about in the, in the fifth episode of not being able to really connect with your sense of self. Yes. That that ADHD people have such a hard time with that. And when, and through this method of literally just imagination and, have and creating a space where you can be with yourself and it be okay and everything be okay. Yep. That in itself starts to develop that sense of self. Exactly. And this is where, again, a little bit of a stumble on back in the nineties mm. that this distress internally and feeling broken and something's wrong with me and can't follow through and stay organized. Yeah. The chronic distress, um, this suddenly became a really powerful way to, circumvent or counterbalance or navigate that space yeah so the easiest way to do it take something that's meaningful make some edits to it so it's personalized it is really critical to create what's called a secret passageway and i want to say that real quick yeah and that may seem a little odd initially but it's just a way that i think about getting there okay getting into the imagination right or into your emotional place. okay i say that because for so many people who have been highly distressed in their life, they don't feel safe even imagining to themselves. Mm, okay? Wow. So now I say the number 67, or yeah. I see the color blue around me and I walk into it. Or it could care. be like highly, highly complex. Sure, where it doesn't it's like, matter yeah, what right. it is. The key to this is come up with something that's unique to you, mm. but you never tell anybody else. Yeah. And when you never tell anyone else... Not even f- your closest... No, yeah. no one. No one then the threat modulator in your mind, your survival instinct, uh-huh. calms down a little further because um, no one else knows how you get there. Wow. So it's a neat little mental gymnastics trick yeah. I discovered. And I really like it. And I'm certain it's, you know, it's been in and around the psychological field, treating ADHD with it, particularly the emotional distress syndrome. Yeah. I call it a toehold in your emotional sense of safety. Um, and I think... It works beautifully, but I do want to say that as part of creating this kind of meaningful space, Mm -hmm. that you do create some kind of little secret passageway that you don't tell anybody else because it helps it to keep it safe. Yeah. Uh, And don't overthink that. 
You can come yeah. up with anything. You can change it the next time you go in. You can change it, it whenever, whenever you, you want. want. Yeah. It's yours. Right. Got it. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I honestly might use that as, a, as lot of a non-ADHDer. That sounds... I personally think I have the most cool one, but I won't tell you because it's mine. Oh, why not? Uh, now, <laughs> See, that's the thing that you can get into. Very that's, easily. Yeah, okay. and so that I think that's really important for the listeners to be aware of, yeah. is that if you tell somebody about... Don't tell them that you have a secret passageway. Right. Right? Tell, just, tell them about the emotional safe place, maybe, if you want to. Yeah, and be really careful with that, because that's a really personal yeah. sense of safety. Right, but but it can get really iffy yeah. if people yeah. start pushing and poking about what is actually in there. And like, yeah, what? funny. Okay, we're gonna have to tell it. It's a funny little story. Okay. Stick with us on this. I tell you, we won't go too far <laughs> here. But uh, so years ago, my secret passageway was an invisible force field, DNA body recognition related for only me. Mm. I had to smile to get through the force field. I created that. And oh, I can wow. tell anyone about it. You're yeah. not my DNA. You can't smile like me. You can't get through. Huh. One night, I'm kind of bantering with my dear wife uh, about this kind of piece. And we're playing back and forth. Yeah. And uh, she's playing with the idea of kind I of how to get in. Going. Exactly. Uh, and I went to bed that night and I felt not unsafe, but I went, that's a little weird. I feel like, you know, maybe something could get in there. Yeah. Okay. Right. I woke up the next morning. I changed the way I got in, mm. in my own mind's eye. Yeah. I never told anyone else. All the safety returned very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's just a little mental gymnastics, gotcha. folks. Yeah. Um, so important. Keep yeah. it to yourself. Maintain awareness about it. Yeah. And if by chance it becomes shiny and you happen to let it slip out to someone else, yeah. just change it. Just change it to something <laughs> maybe more shiny. <laughs> oh, yes. All yeah. right. Um, so why does this work okay. so well? This is why it works so well. Look, it provides a protection. I also like to think about almost like an insulation from the emotional stress okay. of ADHD because we don't know where we're going to hiccup or lack of follow through or say something we didn't mean yeah. or uh, forget something. And so it provides this kind of protection to yourself. Yeah. Um, but, it, but without this internal resource, okay, the default system of our bodies is to go to the survival instinct. Mm, okay. Yeah. The survival instinct fight, really flight, drains, right. Fight, yeah. flight, or freeze. It really drains our mental and emotional energy. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a, is a vital piece because it, it, it doesn't allow you to go to that default system mm-hmm. of survival as often. Okay? okay. Um, so, but it really needs to be paired with an awareness of your own emotional state. Sure. Right? Because if you feel if you don't feel yourself spinning and starting to get into this like emotional distress or or yeah. into a weird space, then you're not going to know to be able to go to your emotional state. Yeah, place. well that's a that's a really good point, but the reality is for us it can be the look on someone's face. It yeah. can be something I forgot and mm-hmm. boy, I'm I'm like spinning in a top in no time. Yeah, yeah. So the key there is that you practice thinking about going to your sense of a, an emotional safe place. Okay. When you're not distressed, yeah. sitting during the day, see an awesome oak tree sitting there, you think about installing it in your okay. safe place. It's a playful thing. Yeah. So that when I'm under distress, can, I start learning how to remember to go there yeah. or think about it. And it becomes more automatic. 
right. at that point. And right. so, like, if you even think about going to your emotional safe place, then boom, you're there. Yes. You know. And remembering and that this is resourced or developed yeah. out of something that's completely natural, like walking or talking right. or thinking. Mm-hmm. We all have imagination. Yeah. Learning how to use it powerfully. Even if you don't think you're that creative of a person. Sure. Right? And I've had people who don't visualize. That's a really yeah. good point. And so some people are much more auditory. They're okay. much more a uh, smell oriented. So yeah. they'll have smell as their safe place. They're feeling oriented. Oh, that's so interesting. They, so they create feelings for their safe place. And some people don't have visuals for it all. Okay. So that, well, I'm a very visual person. So I guess it'll, I be, it'll be hard for me to really but grasp I, that. But that's, yeah, I think that's important to note. No, but I have had people who are very smell sensitive, and yeah. that's their strongest sense. So they'll smell flowers and think about the idea, the mm. smell of flowers, and the idea. And so that's so part like of essentially their safe, place. their safe place would be like one big green room of uh, like could you be. know just or all the a, flowers they love, or, or it's a kitchen, or it's a kitchen, incredible right? smells, yeah, exactly, full of great foods um, and all that. And I've had people who use feelings, like the mm. feeling in their body, and they kind of make it stronger or. Uh, they put colors could you, around could it. Could you almost attribute an emotional safe place to a physical thing, like, in you? So, like, so let's say you have, like, a belt that you wear every day or something like that. Could you attribute your emotional safe place, like, to the buckle on that belt? Sure. Like, something like that. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Well, That's all, that almost gets into, well, like, fantasy. Like, I know. It gets into science fiction. Stuff. But here's the piece with that. When you put something... Uh, of an external measure mm. with your safe place, something happens to that belt. Then it's you lose destroyed. It. Yeah. Well, it's it feels like, like something's affected it. Gotcha. It's not necessarily true, but this is why I think you keep it internal, even if it's in a feeling state. Okay. Look, the first rule of imagination. Yeah. There are no rules. Yeah. Walt, Walt Disney. Disney. Yeah. Yep. 1934 right said that. Yeah. Look what he built. Yeah. So use your imagination as a powerful okay. resource. Bottom line. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. okay. So. Now let's move on to something that Bernard mentioned in this last episode, which was keys. Yes. And it's not his car keys or his house key or whatever, as we kind of learn in that past episode. Mm-hmm. It's keys to his inner world, as he explains. Yes. yes. Uh, let's hear him talk a little bit about that before we get into it. I knew I'd passed out, but I didn't feel the impact because somehow... I floated out of my physical body. I was okay with it, though. Not scared or euphoric. Just looking down at myself, lying in the road with all those broken people. Then I heard a voice. A a voice? What did it say? It told me to remember where I put my keys. (laughs) And, And did you? Yeah. But it took a while. You know me. I was looking for the Dalai Lama Technicolor Breakthrough, but no. First, I had to go home. Then I had to get real with my family. Then I spent four years sitting here with James, working to sort out my keys, unlocking rooms I'd trapped myself in, opening up my emotional safe place, which I didn't even know I had back then and getting rid of keys that didn't open anything anymore. Man, I, am I making any sense right now? Yeah, actually, I I totally get it. So it almost seems like Bernard 
is referencing these keys as like they're almost his ability to self-reflect. Yeah, almost. You know, like it's a it's um it's like a the, trigger or a marker. To, right. Yeah. It's a it's a it's something that he has found that uh that gave him insight into himself. Yes. It's like a a piece of information, a key right. that gave him insight into himself. Um do you find that there's a big issue in ADHD with self-reflection? Is that a big thing that happen? I mean, I feel like that's a big thing that happens with everybody, really. Sure. Um, is that it's it's hard to have self-reflection because we're always um, wanting to just look at the things around us. You know? Well, sure. And so the natural space of self-reflection comes from this metacognition or abstract development in our mm-hmm. early adolescence, maturing of the mind yeah. in thinking like an adult, as we would say. But it's interesting you would talk about kind of this idea of self-reflection. Bernard in this uh, scene is using his keys as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's a way for him to remember. It's kind of a it's memory a physical tag. thing that yeah, he can that use. He, that yeah. he used. And what, when you look at it like that, um, to me, people with ADHD do not have an effective form of self-reflection. Mm. See, they do have self-reflection, but unfortunately, the self-reflection is about berating, beating yourself up, uh, so critical that, voices in your mind. So that stems from this this lack of self of, yes. of self-identity almost and that the survival instinct is happening too much and so it's a threat and mm. it's these kind of negative voices that initially many people will use that kind of i would say negative thought or kind of pressure yeah to kind of get something done hey pull yourself up by your bootstraps come on yeah. you can Just do this do it come on and yeah. that helps to some degree okay if it's chronic that you do that mm. you don't have any other way you can't calm down from distress and you're constantly being distressed. Yeah. Then it's a problem. Then it becomes a problem in that those negative voices, I talk about them in my book, Focus Forward, as being character assassinators. That they uh-huh. really just berate you constantly that like, I can't believe you just did that. Oh my God, not again. Yeah. You're never going to get this right. Sorry to trigger everything off everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's, I'm That's sure. I'm sure. I can feel it. <laughs> Yep. Relax so a little go bit. Go to your emotional safe <laughs> place. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I could feel that take, for a minute. Take some breaths. Yeah. Exactly. So look, initially that self-reflection um, isn't effective generally for most people with ADHD. Okay, what I'm talking mm. about here is the effective form of self-reflection um, that Bernard does through therapy. Yeah. Where he really learned things about himself. Mm. Okay, where he understood why certain things happened he emotionally was able to release some things and feel really good about them. Yeah. Um, but this form of self-reflection uh, is that this is how it develops the internal strength, okay? Mm. In being able to self-reflect on your stories and your history and learn from them, the emotional safe place helps you to kind of underpin or, you know, have strength to be able to do that. Um, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes sense is... I mean, if you're able to create this emotional safe place that allows you to start having a sense of self and also start having a sense of security within mm-hmm. yourself, that will allow you the bandwidth to be able to analyze it and does. to be able to like yeah. figure, start figuring things out about why you do something, why you don't do something, you know, like what your motivations are and how to kind of 
maybe change that for the better if you want to. Yes. And I also think uh, this internal sense of strength, because there's also a concept uh, that we didn't necessarily go directly to called the mental support group, where you have people in your mind's eye that support you in Mm. reaching uh, your greatest self. But it's a way um, that when you do have lack of follow through or inconsistency, I'm 56, I'm an expert in ADD. I still have storms. I had them less than 24 hours ago. I've recovered. I recover quickly. Yeah. But many times it takes these internal resources of like talking to an old friend of mine uh, about what happened and feeling a sense of comfort in my mind's eye of what that person might say. Let's actually talk about that. I want to, what do you mean by a mental support group? Like how, so somebody builds this emotional safe place. How do they now input other people? Yes. Well, it's impossible. Because that's what it is, right? And this is where maybe... Uh, the ongoing afterthoughts beyond the afterthoughts yeah, happens. Right. <laughs> uh, but look, the mental support group is simply much like you're creating an environment of safety in your mind's eye. Okay. Uh, the mental support group is literally people you would consider that are safe, mm-hmm. that would be supportive of you. Like mentors uh, almost? Mentors. And the uh, interesting thing is, and this is really, really where I encourage you to go and, and look at Focus Forward. I describe this much more in detail uh, that you can use the community at large, people living or dead. It doesn't matter. Mm. It's more the concept. Does it have to be somebody that you know? Nope, nope. In fact, in my book, I reference uh, Deepak Chopra. He is an enormously storied person who has yeah. helped millions That's of people true. feel good about themselves. And so my idea of uh, someone like Deepak Chopra really supporting me in my development, I just know that it's a strong resource within myself. And it's a mental gymnastics mm-hmm. of self-reflection yeah. to develop the relationship with myself. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, if you haven't already, uh, please share these episodes with anyone you think uh, might find it useful. Um, if you want to learn more about the concepts that James has been talking about, uh, obviously, you can go to go get his uh, video education series coming out this May. And then you can also find his book, Focused Forward, all of which is on his website at www.jamesochoa.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.